You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inside Healthcare. I'm your host, Dave Smolar, Senior Multimedia Specialist here at NCQA. NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance, exists to improve healthcare in America. We want to make care better for everyone. We set expectations of healthcare organizations, we measure their performance, and highlight those that do well, and we use science to help us build better health and better choices for all Americans. If you're a fan of this podcast or have feedback, write to us at communications at ncqa.org. We look forward to hearing from you soon. On this episode of Inside Healthcare, we hear from a digital scientist and researcher who, frankly, doesn't have time to wait for change to happen in healthcare. And throughout the show, all, all this month, in fact, and next month, March and April, I'll be gently but firmly reminding the audience about NCQA's amazing springtime event, Quality Talks, coming up in early May 2023 in Washington, D.C. But first, Jennifer Goldsack is founder and CEO of the Digital Medicine Society, the DIME, as they call it, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing digital medicine to optimize human health. Previously, Jen spent several years at the Clinical Trials Transformation Initiative, the CTTI, a public-private partnership co-founded by Duke University and the FDA. Jen spent five years working in research at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. She's also helped launch the Value Institute, a pragmatic research and innovation center. Jen earned her master's degree in chemistry from the University of Oxford, England, her master's in the history and sociology of medicine from the University of Pennsylvania, her MBA from George Washington University. And yeah, she if you've heard of her, she was a proud Olympian, a rower for the U.S. at the Beijing Olympics. More on that later. Jen will also be a speaker at NCQA's 2023 Quality Talks event in May. Sign up today for a chance to hear her speak, both on stage and in a speaker salon where you can hear more from her or ask questions and network. And as you'll hear... The head of DIME, the Digital Medicine Society, is all about using what's already out there in tech to make the healthcare changes we need right now. We are tech enthusiasts at DIME. We are not tech determinists. And I think that it's important to remind all of us that the goal here is not to implement as many technology solutions as possible. The goal here is to use these new tech tools in the toolbox to try and improve the way we care for people. We are in an industry that is plagued by pressing and persistent challenges. We are very optimistic that thoughtfully and intentionally built and deployed, these digital solutions can ameliorate many of the pain points that we've been battling against in healthcare for decades. And so that's what we're here to do. We're not here to shove tech down your throat. We're here to use tech to solve some of those most pressing problems that affect patients, that affect clinicians that affect researchers. That's the goal of our work at Dime, David. Tell me about the organization, the Digital Medicine Society. How did it uh, develop? Where did it come from? Um, how long has it been around? And how have you seen it evolve, change over uh, over time? The impetus for Dime, David, was really based in some of my own experiences. First of all, doing research on the healthcare delivery side of the house during the passage of health reform during the implementation of the High Tech Act, really starting to think about 
gosh, how can these new digital flows of data start to improve the way that we care for people and deliver on that promise of the learning healthcare system? And over time, how can those flows of data coupled with our emerging capabilities to actually analyze these large data sets? Again, how can we start to deliver on the promise of that learning healthcare system that we've been talking about now for a reasonably long time? Then, uh, David, some work on the clinical trial side of the house, not just in healthcare research, but actually in medical product development. Many of the same challenges uh, exist. Many of the same opportunities for digital tools and technologies to come in and help address some of those issues around efficiency, effectiveness, equity, affordability, all of those issues that across the board have been our Achilles heel as an industry, despite phenomenal research and our very best efforts. So our goal was, first of all, to convene these uh, experts from across different stakeholder groups and in some cases across different industries, then to build the evidentiary framework for what good looks like as we digitize the healthcare system, and then really take the time to educate our community on what that looks like and through demonstration projects, show, don't tell this progress in practice. And so that's what we do here at Dime. What kinds of people are on your team, the backgrounds that they have, and then how do you uh, foster those those relationships, those connections between Dime and, and these uh, other facilities? So we were founded only in May of 2019, but we've had extraordinary and outsized impact during that time. And I think we can maybe talk a little bit later about how things have changed vis-a-vis -vis digitization in healthcare over that period of time. But our team remains small and scrappy. Um, we're just shy of 30 people on staff here at Dime. So we partnered with over 200 organizations in 2022, David, from um, a variety of government colleagues at different agencies here in the U.S., and abroad, um, when we think about large healthcare systems like the VA, like Oshner Health, for example, when we think about some of the big payer organizations, we partnered with those. We partnered with all of the top 10 pharma last year. We partnered with the big tech companies. We partnered with those innovators who are doing the hard work um, on venture timelines and really struggling to build that evidence under the pressure that they feel. And we do the work to set the table for these conversations to not just admire the problems and think about what could be, but to actually write the playbook for what a future digitized version of healthcare can be that we are all building together. On, there's a wheel, there's a, a pie chart on the website. Okay, there are three sections. One is R&D, research and, and resource development. Uh, the second says communication and education. And the third piece is community. So we have R&D, we have communication, education, and we have community. <clears throat> so what is this chart, this uh, picture? What is it trying to tell me? Uh, and how does Dime balance your focus among these three uh, elements? This is for the sake of, of people who have similar organizations. Yep. So I want to be able to share at least some underlying philosophy that, that you have. So, so talk to me about these three, please. So you described it beautifully, David. And the way we think about this is really as a flywheel, which is each one of those steps and components feeds into and augments the next. And it continues to spin, right? So I told you about the community that we convene. I told you about those different stakeholders. I told you about the organizations that we were proud to welcome to the table in the pre-competitive environment. When we do that, we listen very carefully to the pain points that these organizations are experiencing as they try to make sure that their clinical staff have a 
you know, sustainable and a safe place to work. As we think about doing what our industry is actually intended to do, which is care for people, where are they struggling to leverage digital tools and solutions? Or where are the opportunities? Where are they investing an awful lot of money or effort, for example, and not seeing return? That's how the community fuels our R&D portfolio. We listen very carefully. And when we start to see a critical mass of issues that can be addressed in the pre-competitive space, whether it's, you know, we need an evidentiary framework, whether we need to actually articulate and quantify the value proposition to do something, whether it's we need a checklist, whether it's we need a template contract to actually drive the adoption of virtual care, you know, by payers, for example, whether it's we're actually going to do pre-competitive development of digital tools, all of those things are in our R&D toolbox, and we are very responsive to the needs of the community. We're driven by the community. We partner with the community to do this work. And then the communication and education piece, David, is, you know, and, and we know this, and it's a real challenge in academic communities that the grant funding comes to do the work. There's no grant funding for you to do dissemination and adoption. And unfortunately, you have to publish a paper and then you have to go back and write the next grant. We very intentionally set up a very different framework at Dime where it's as important to us to take the time to disseminate and drive the adoption of these new practices as it is to set the table and make sure we're solving the right problem to begin with and then solve that problem with excellence. So that's where the communication and education piece comes in, whether it's driving the dissemination and adoption of these best practices or whether it's actually creating bespoke educational content for certain stakeholders in the field to make sure they have the skills to actually be able to implement these best practices. That's what we do at Dime. The reason we describe it as a flywheel is when we do those things well, we've actually upskilled and up-resourced the community. So the next set of problems that they have fuels a new research question, and we go around and around multiple times in parallel. And that's essentially what we do here at Dime, David. Is that one thing that Dime is doing is that you're keeping your ears open for partners who have ideas and helping them to communicate them? Uh, or is there is there an also within your R&D that somebody on the team comes up with an idea? And you start to develop it and see how quickly we can develop it and use it as a solution within healthcare. Yeah. So I've got a really good example for you, David. So uh, recently we released our uh, resources uh, to advance uh, diversity, equity and inclusion uh, in digitized clinical trials. And that's a classic example of an arena where we have been admiring the problem of a lack of diversity, a lack of equity and almost absent inclusion in clinical trials for decades. There's been many a panel conversation about it. More recently, organizations have even appointed a DE&I you know, executive to the C-suite with no budget and maybe with one half of an FTEE to support their goal and no clarity on what to do. We feel very strongly that the approach we need to take is not simply making sure that as we adopt digital approaches to solve other scientific, clinical, and business challenges, at, a very, at the very minimum, we are simply taking the time to make sure we don't make appalling equity worse. But actually, it should be an imperative that as we introduce these digital tools, we are actually actively trying to ameliorate some of these challenges. And we believe these tools have the promise to do so and that they have the promise to do so today. So as an example of a body of work we did, we came out with over 60 tools and resources and over 50 case examples of how this can actually be done. 
this is not a tech issue. This is a what are your values and what are you willing to do to improve the way we develop medical products? And that's a classic example, David, of the kind of work we do. We weren't going to host another meeting and admire the problem. We weren't going to write a white paper. There's over 60 tools out there that anyone can take off the shelf today if they really believe that actually we should involve everyone that a medical product could potentially be used for in their development. There's a line in your, either in the mission statement or on the website, that your work and research focuses on improving equitable use of digital technologies in healthcare. So I was going to ask you what that means, but it, it sounds like, is is that along the lines of what we were just talking about? Yeah. So when we think about doing this in totality, David, we're thinking about ethical, effective, equitable, and safe. To us, those four things are our central tenets. You describe really nicely the way that we see opportunities in the market to actually do work that is in a position to take hold. You are exactly right. There's an awful lot of talking in industry about we're finally going to move after decades of admiring the rampant health inequity in this country. We're finally going to do something about it. We're taking actually quite a pushy position that I'm very proud of, which is here is the suite of tools. Use them. You say you want to do something, just use them. There is nothing about the technology that exists today that is stopping us from making substantive change in health equity if we are thoughtful about how we deploy them. So from the research that you're currently doing uh, in, in this direction, give me an example of a bad situation in terms of seeing and discovering, revealing, uh, trying to you know uh, ameliorate and maybe solve a gap in health equity. So in, in equity care or even in equity research, not, I don't mean your research, I mean in gaps, like you were saying, statistical gaps uh, where the, the methodology that people are using for trying to gather social determinants of health research, that there may be fallacies in how they're doing it where still their populations and stats that are getting left out, the data sets that are getting left out. So give me one, maybe one or two examples of that. Yeah. So the example that springs to mind is actually how we consider a definition of diversity in the digital era. I think that the challenge that we have is how can you benchmark performance and how can you build solutions intentionally without actually knowing the potential barriers to access or the potential challenges to use or participation in a particular pathway of care if you can't actually describe the different needs of your population. So we actually have a manuscript in press right now, David, that defines, um, and it builds on what the uh, All of Us Research uh, group started they were the first to, I think, really boldly define the different domains of diversity in healthcare and research. And we've augmented that for the digital era, recognizing that there's an intersectionality between the traditional ways we think about diversity in healthcare and the way we think about diversity and needs of different subpopulations in the digital era. So I think that's a tremendous example of where we recognize that absent that definition, uh, we all of our efforts may not come to fruition because we weren't actually using the right lexicon, the right ontology to actually build 
diverse, equitable, and inclusive strategies as we digitize healthcare. We're talking about digital technologies. Could you give me one or two examples of how digital technologies can help to improve, to resolve gaps in in health equity? And how has DIME uh, evolved over the last couple of years to help to meet those needs with the services that you provide? I think it's really important to start by dismissing the notion that there's a circumscribed group of products or applications in the digital era that can be used to help ameliorate some of the challenges around diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare. Rather, it should be core to every single conversation we have about every single kind of technology or solution that we adopt going forward. There should not be a single tool, paper, carrier pigeon, or digital, that if we can't see a way that it improves the way we care for all people, that it's a non-starter. And so we can look across the entire suite of digital tools in the toolbox in healthcare today. We can think about the use of real-world data and evidence. We can think about the use of, we haven't said it yet, it's time, AI and machine learning. We can think about the use of remote patient monitoring. We can think about the use of digital therapeutics. We can think about the use of telehealth and virtual first care. We can think about the use of mixed, extended, augmented virtual realities. We can think about you know, uh, things like adherence technologies. We can think about asynchronous communications platforms like SMS, like other sorts of nudges, emails. We can think about uh, peer support groups and practices that can be disintermediated by technologies um, and, and create all of these different platforms and environment, all of which can be very successfully used in different circumstances to improve the way that we care for people. And that has to be baked into the entire continuum of care. And it has to be baked into every single tool or technology that we use to reimagine clinical workflows that work for everyone, including the clinicians that we are stretching incredibly thin right now. When we discuss equity, there are two aspects of helping to resolve health health equity that we've discussed on, on the show. One is everything that you're saying right now. And then there's another step, which is having uh, teams or professionals, folks within the individual communities on the ground level who are helping not just to administer or to establish, to set up um, healthcare provisions, but more than that, that they are there to encourage and actually bring people to the services that are now maybe being provided for the first time and who knows how long. So I, I, I'm wondering just what your thoughts are on, on that uh, and Dime's thoughts in general about how digital technologies can help to rebuild trust that might have been lost over the last couple of years or the last decades. Community leaders are absolutely critical. I am not an expert in them. I am an, I'm an expert in digital. And we look always to our community partners in order to guide us there. And we support them with every step. I think the one thing I will say is because I know that to be true and because I know people to be, um, you know, healthcare organizations, research organizations to be starting to leverage these communities. Let's remind ourselves of the fast track to distrust is when it's transactional in one way. If as a healthcare provider or as a researcher, you want to use these community members, write them into your budget. 
And that is the one and only thing that I will say in support of our partners who do that tremendous work out in the community. We are experts in digital at Dime. We bring our other expert colleagues to the table for areas that are beyond our remit. And that is where I would consider those community leaders. The field of digital medicine and health technology in general has been evolving very quickly at the least. So we hear stories about, well, these are the IT kinds of things that that people will worry about, uh, about hacking, data privacy, uh, and in our terms, at the very least, worries about encryption when it comes to um, uh, electronic health records being transferred and other scary issues related to technology, I guess. Uh, so what does Dime do uh, in terms of ensuring that the field advances in an ethical way uh, and a trustworthy way and encrypted a safe way of, of, um, of being able to transfer records is just one example, I'm sure. Yeah. So I think there's two things we do, and I'm very proud to say I believe we do them very well. So first of all, we could look at something like cybersecurity. In, uh, in almost every other industry, this is commoditized. There are established best practice. No one questions them. There's exceptionally good training because it's not just a tech problem. It's a human problem, too. And there's sufficient education out in the field that the best practices are adopted and very broadly adhered to. Recognizing that, we do two things. First of all, we work extensively with our colleagues in um, the cybersecurity and uh and, and research environments in order to make sure that we are translating as rapidly as possible those best practices into the healthcare environment. And then, David, this goes back to our flywheel. We actually have for our community uh, a direct to learner applied digital health ethics course that's been we've had thousands of learners come through this program and we've actually been delighted by the level of uptake and the level of enthusiasm that folks working in the field of digital medicine have actually had for educating themselves on, you know, applied digital ethics. So in that, uh, in that education, we really do coach folks working in the field. What are the risks? What is the potential for harm? How does that vary in different settings? And specifically, what can you do about that as an individual and through building a culture of ethics in your workplace in order to minimize those risks? I think it is lost on most people, the number of security and data breaches we have every day. I think that if we continue in this direction, we are going to lose the trust of the people that our industry exists to serve. And we will squander the opportunity to use these new digital tools in the toolbox to better care for people. So we spend a lot of time advocating for and educating people on ethical approaches, including exceptionally good, thoughtful, and fit for purpose security practices. I, I can't let you go without a chance to ask you about your journey to healthcare. Tell us about um, where you started out and your journey in, in your own mind of how you got to uh, where you are and to this point of creating and fostering Dime. Uh, so you're right. I feel you have to have a certain amount of determination that a problem needs to be solved before you start bootstrapping a nonprofit, David, as I did in the early days. But um, I think, you know, my journey began because I am a researcher. So my actual research as a chemist was into liquid crystals, which I think given you and I are staring at each other through an LCD uh, set of LCD screens, it was at least uh, very applied. 
Uh, so that was my research. Then I took a break from doing anything sensible for a while whatsoever, David, and actually was a full-time athlete for a number of years and was fortunate enough to compete at the Beijing Olympics in 2008. Despite my accent, my mom's American, so I was on the US Olympic team, which was absolutely extraordinary. Um, incredible experience. Uh, we had the privilege of racing in Beijing, which just layered on the experience of the Olympic Games for me. And while I thought I would go back to the UK uh, after retiring from sport, I actually stuck around, uh, enjoyed being in the US. So it was the fall of 2008, which as everyone might remember, was a pretty tough time to be looking for a job. So I ended up putting my research skills to work uh, in the healthcare environment. So started working at Penn as a researcher, and it was such a terrific and motivating time, David. There was the passage of health reform. There was the High Tech Act. All of these things were going through. And as someone who grew up with a very different healthcare system, it was fascinating to be able to evaluate in real time the way these changes were impacting the field. I also will forever be grateful for that career transition. A lot of athletes really struggle to find a passion after being competitive, I was able to be very selfish for years and years and wake up and spend all of my time and my energy in the dogged pursuit of today, I'm going to do more to be the best in the world at this. And that is motivating. It also sets a very high bar for what you are looking for from your job. So I, my timing in terms of entering the healthcare environment was spectacular. I could put all of that energy, I could put all of my expertise and research into this field that was undergoing change and felt like I was doing good work. Um, from Penn, I went down and founded the Value Institute, so a pragmatic research institute at a large uh, healthcare system in Delaware. We hired their first data scientist. Everyone thought we were crazy. Turns out we might have been onto something. Uh, then went over to the clinical trial side of the house at the Clinical Trials Transformation Initiative, was asking good and important questions there, not just about how do we use real-world data, but how do we use the full suite of digital tools in the toolbox to improve the way that we develop new medical products. And David, after this journey, working on the healthcare delivery side, working on the clinical trial side, and contemplating with some of the leaders in the field, the promise of these digital technologies, I was absolutely certain of their potential to really make the kind of transformative change, and it's an overused term, but the transformative change that our healthcare industry needs. So I was privileged to found Dime with the very focused and dogged determination that we are going to get the digitization of healthcare right out of the gates. In terms of being a risk taker, I'm being very, very presumptuous. I apologize already. Yeah, but I like hard problems and risks, David. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> the assumption of being a risk taker. Um, I want to ask you, what do you consider the most, let's say, dangerous concept in healthcare? So I think there are two concepts. I think they're inextricably linked, but I think it's this idea that and it goes back to your definition, the difference, albeit subtle, between digitization and digitalization. What we aren't trying to do here is take the existing clinical workflow that requires the doctor-patient visit to have a chokehold on the whole system. We aren't trying to retool that remotely. We really think that clinicians should and must remain at the center of the way we care for people going forward but that we have to build care around the person and not the clinic, that we have to stop waiting for someone to show up sick, symptomatic, 
likely in pretty bad shape, sometimes catastrophic and likely much more expensive than we could have treated them um, under other conditions. And we have to think about moving care upstream. The only way to do that is to build care around the patient and not the clinic. And the reason I think that that's a message that's important to share is while the digital innovators at any healthcare system would agree with me, someone somewhere on the board keeps signing off on building new buildings. And it's just, I don't understand this dogged investment, even in the current environment, even when you can't staff an inpatient unit with enough nurses, even when you can't load balance your patient lists across your existing physicians, that we continue to build these buildings and these waiting rooms when we know that this is not a sustainable system. And there is a not only a viable, but a promising set of tools in the toolbox that allow us to do this in a way that is both better for the patients our industry exists to serve for, better for those clinical care professionals who we continue to squeeze and push and blame and better for the bottom line, both of the healthcare systems and for the nation and for in every single family who's having a kitchen table conversation about whether or not they can afford the care they need. I'm going to ask you one more question to forecast digital health 10 years from now. And, you know, this, the strange thing is that uh, digital technologies, any kind of technology, 10 years doesn't always seem like a, a really enough time to be able to have, a you know, for a roadmap for any major kinds of changes. That's not this conversation, mm-hmm. because this conversation with you, unless I'm, I've been in another room the whole time, this conversation with you isn't about developing some grandiose kind of technology out of the blue. It's about understanding how to craft what's already available and maybe to improve or to refine what tech is already available and simultaneously parallel to that to make sure that we're understanding all the different applications of this technology to make sure that we know all the different needs that are out there and how the tools we already have can be either improved or can be refined in order to apply them for the things that are out there, that we're not just doing science for the sake of of research. We're not doing, we're not creating and developing technology for the sake of creating technology, but that we are trying to be as pragmatic as possible. So in that sense, I'm talking to the head of Dime and asking for 10 years from now, how do you think things will be um, or and or how do you think things should be? What what are we really um, gearing ourselves towards? So I think it's a Bill Gates quote that we often overestimate what we can achieve in six months and underestimate what we can achieve in ten. Uh, towards my team, David, they will tell you that I've never underestimated anything in my life. Um, but I really do think we are on the precipice of change really a watershed moment for the way we care for people. You are exactly right. This is not blue sky thinking about what technologies at some point in the future might be able to deliver for us. The technologies are here and ready to go today. Through our work at Dime, we are building the evidentiary frameworks for what good looks like. And through the Digital Medicine Academy, we are educating the community on how to deploy those those skills in practice. In 10 years, 
there will be a fundamentally different healthcare system. Healthcare will not be built around the large brick and mortar buildings and large healthcare systems. We will evaluate good healthcare by how good are we at keeping people out of the out of the clinic, rather than how good are we at treating them when they present sick at the doors of the clinic. And we will absolutely have to figure out how to make every single unit of clinical expertise stretch much further and reach every single person in our industry. There is absolutely no reason that we can't get that done in five years, let alone 10 years, if we can get the incentives to align. I think we have to continue to hammer on this being an evidence-based field. I think we have to continue to hammer on equity. We have to hammer on effectiveness and safety. And we need to bring everyone towards this shared vision that this is not an interesting alternative, but the way that we currently care for people does not work. There are not enough clinicians. And if you look at every projection, we are not going to solve that problem in an acceptable amount of time. We are the only developing country, if we strip out the data from the pandemic, with decreasing longevity. We have the worst outcomes at twice the price, and we have rampant health inequity. And we can no longer, due to the clinician shortage, supply chain shortages and costs, keep pulling that fee-for-service lever to pretend it's not happening. We have to do things differently. Digital can help us do that, and we will get there much sooner than 10 years, David. Jen Goldsack, founder and CEO of the Digital Medicine Society, known as DIME, with the clarion call for digitalization towards immediate change in U.S. healthcare. Well, 2023 is gearing up to be quite a busy one for NCQA, and I've got some amazing in-person events to tell you about. So get out your calendar apps and jot these down. On May 3rd, 2023, in Washington, D.C., we present our annual Quality Talks. Imagine a hushed ballroom, a spotlight centered on one innovative speaker after another. And afterward, the chance for you to meet them in our speaker salons and connect with your fellow attendees from across healthcare. Seating is limited, so register now to be there in person. And if you can't make it in person, we'll have a live stream of the entire event just for you. For more information or to view speaker presentations from past years, go to qualitytalks.org. Quality Talks takes place in a single spring day, but for a more comprehensive experience, join us in Orlando for our second annual Health Innovation Summit for three days beginning October 23, 2023. This is the place to connect with quality and care delivery innovators and enjoy our speakers, panels, training sessions, and an exhibit showcase floor. Don't miss it. Well, as we do on each episode of Inside Healthcare, we ask for your thoughts now on today's show. Email us at communications at ncqa.org anytime, and be sure to include Inside Healthcare in the subject line. If you're coming up empty for something to say, here's our question for this episode. If someone could invent any gadget right now that would solve a problem in healthcare, big or small, what would that gadget be? Well, think about it and tell us about it. And if you have a comment, a suggestion, an idea for a guest on our show, maybe you'd like to be the guest, just email us and let us know, communications at ncqa.org. And be sure to write Inside Healthcare in the subject line. Hope to hear from you soon. And that's it for episode 101 of NCQA's Inside Healthcare podcast. Thanks for joining us. This episode's done, but there are plenty that came before it for you to explore and investigate. 
You can find us at blog.ncqa.org or find us on any Apple or Google streaming app. Whether you download the show or stream it, if you find us, then follow us and spread the word. Help us build our audience by letting others know about NCQA's work. And if you haven't done so already, connect with NCQA on LinkedIn and Twitter. You'll get video promos for this show that you can share. Please share with your friends and colleagues. And as always, we thank you, our loyal listener, for helping our audience continue to grow. On behalf of our award-winning NCQA communications team, I'm Dave Smolar. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast.